0: Welcome to Revolution Podcast, a place where we discuss the Bible, culture, faith, and why it matters for you. I'm Quinn, and this is my co host, Chase. And if you're looking for a podcast that explores the revolutionizing power of Christ in your life, then this is the show for you. All right. Well, we are back in studio right now. I am actually sitting alone with the mic right now. Quinn is not here. I hate to say that we are uh, interrupting your regularly scheduled broadcast of our Gospel Talk series because Quinn is sick. Uh, That happens sometimes. So Quinn is sick, and so he could not make it out to record our episode. And so we are delaying our episode of Gospel Talk, What About the Law, until next week. This week, I'm kind of doing more more last-minute kind of episode. Standalone thing, not part of our series. And as I was getting ready to record this episode, suddenly none of our sound stuff was working. So we've kind of made a makeshift thing uh, for this right now, but I can't actually hear. i, I the, My headphones aren't working, so I can't actually hear this recording as I'm making it. So we're just really hoping right now that it turns out well. And that's just the situation. So it is all fun around here, but I'm excited to get into today's episode. We we're talking about this theme of theology is an optional. So our, our church that Quinn and I go to has started putting on theology nights on some Sunday evenings. They tackle topics like the Holy Spirit, who is he, topics like the attributes of God. We, we got one coming up in two weeks that's on the subject of suffering, right? And the theology of suffering and how we should understand that. I've gone to as many as I can and a decent amount of people show up, but not a lot of young people. There have been a few, there are one or two, there's like one or two kids from our youth group who show up, maybe a young adult or two. And I always, I always go to them and I always say hi to them because it's really good to see them there. But vast majority are middle-aged people or elderly people, right? People who are retired. And I've just been thinking about that. Me and Quinn have been talking about that, right? Like why is the, why are the people our age not drawn to these theology nights? And I think it's a symptom of a wider cause see and hear from people nowadays. There are so many quotes I could give of people I know who have basically communicated the idea that theology isn't important for them. It's important the way that um, quantum physics is important. It's for people who are kind of far off and know that sort of thing. But for me, I'm just going to live my life. And I don't mean to call out anybody specific right now. What we want to talk about today is a broad symptom in the young adult and youth culture of the Western church, which is that theology doesn't matter. And the point I want to make today is that theology is not optional as a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a theologian. All right. So as we get into that, I want to frame this around an idea R.C. Sproul, a great theologian and pastor and teacher had. Uh, he, he actually wrote a book by this title and he uses phrase a lot. He said, everyone's a theologian. Uh, one side of that that he meant is that everybody thinks they know something about God, and so everybody's a theologian in that way. But he, he also meant by that that everyone's a theologian because every Christian simply has to be. He has this other phrase he likes to use, theology is life. All right, so as we're diving into this, what is theology? I think we need to start there. Theology in its the most basic definition would be the study of God. Right? We've heard that we talk about biology, which is a study of life, psychology, which is a study of the self and of the mind. And so theology is another one of those ology words, uh, and it's talking about God. Uh, but even, even more kind of basic ground level definition would be just words about God, anything anybody says about God is theology, right? And you might say, well, why does that matter? Well, it's because many Christians who wouldn't consider themselves theologians make very theological statements. For example, a lot of Christians, I think most would say, God loves me. Really? Why? How how do you know that? That's a theological statement. Anybody who's a Christian would say Jesus is God. That's a huge theological statement. Tons of people don't believe that. Here's another one. Uh, We can provide a contrast here. If I said, God is love to a group of Christians, most people kind of nod and like, oh yeah, definitely God is love. If I said, God is wrath, that might provoke some disagreement. Well, those are two theological statements. And if you have an opinion about either of those, you have a theological opinion. Here's Even the most basic, the most basic theological question is, does God exist? If you have an opinion on that, you are a theologian. Okay, why why do we say all this? Well, if all Christians, because Christianity is making claims about God, that's what it does. All of those claims are theological claims, which means if you were to be a Christian, you are inherently making theological claims, right? So that means that even if we are the most immature Christians in the world, we are called to be theologians. And Jesus doesn't want us be immature Christians, let me assure you of that. Uh, There's a passage in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 5 verses 12 to 14, which essentially communicates the idea that we're not supposed to stick with the spiritual milk, the way the babies drink milk. We're not supposed to stick with that, but we're supposed to move on to a mature adult diet. Christ does not want us to remain immature. But even if we did, we would still have to be theologians, which means as we become more mature, we have to become more mature in our theology as well. So we can't just pass off theology as something that isn't for us and is for other people. It's actually at the core of what it means to be a Christian. All right. Um, I don't run out this definition. Let's talk about what theology is not. Theology is not big words. Okay, We often use big words to describe theological ideas, Right, words like pneumatology. Eschatology, Christology, soteriology, penal substitutionary atonement. And you'll start hearing Greek and Latin and Hebrew phrases Imago Dei, Deus, uh, De, Deus, oh, sorry, Ver deus, Ver homo, stuff like this. But theology isn't those words. Those words describe theological ideas, but they're, they're helpful, not essential terms. If you can get your hand around that kind of vocabulary vocabulary, sorry, that helps. The same way it helps to know medical vocabulary, if you're going to be involved in the, in the medical profession at all. but it's not necessary. You can describe theological ideas and hold important theological convictions, which when I say theological, I just mean convictions about the Bible right? A conviction you have about the Bible is a theological one. So you can hold convictions about the Bible without being without having to use these big words, okay? So theology is in big words. Uh, theology is not stuff dead people talked about, uh, and it's just something that was for past Christians, okay? The way that Christians who have lived in the past understand the Bible help us, right? It helps us understand the Bible. Most of us would understand maybe a basic definition of the Trinity to be three persons and one being. Right, that's kind of a surface level definition that uh, Christians will fall onto. That didn't. That like, that 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 is not the way the very first Christians would have described that because they didn't have that language. Right? We might talk about the two natures of Christ. Again, that is not language that the very first Christians had. This sort of language, vocabulary, and helpful theological connections have been built throughout the history of the church. So all that to say that the stuff that yes theology is something that Christians have lived in the past have talked about and thought about and wrote about but it's very present to us in the way we understand our faith and finally theology is not for scholars you know the idea of being a theologian doesn't mean you have you have to have your masters or your doctorate in theology as we've talked about already we can't be a Christian without being a theologian Okay, uh, here's, the, here's something that Jesus said in Mark 12. Uh, this is a story of the religious leaders who are pushing back on Jesus. We're, you may be familiar with it, but let's try to push one point. Uh, Mark 12:28, beginning there. And one of the scribes came up to Jesus and heard, um, and heard them and heard him disputing with the religious authorities, heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Yes, we're supposed to love God with our hearts. And it's important to feel those things, but we're also called to love God with our mind. What does that look like if not this idea of theology, which is saying and knowing and believing true things about God and knowing more and more and more of him? Uh, if we can go to Romans 12 as well. Um the will of God more, what God wants, what makes God happy happens by the renewal of our minds. We could very easily just say it happens through growing in our theological understanding. All right. questions people often have about theology. Doesn't theology create division? Right. Aren't a bunch of the divisions in the church today caused by theology? Yes, uh, they are. And I would say at like theology at times should cause division. All right. Now, We can unpack that a little bit. Now, theology is Tertiary, um, less important theological themes are not meant to divide the church. Very easy is eschatology or the study of the end times. Churches are not called to be divided on whether you are a premillennialist, an amillennialist, or postmillennialist. That should not divide the Christian community at all. If you know, I mean, that's a very common one for people to be divided over, which is uncomfortable. Going to an as an example, but for example. People say, well, why, why can't all the Christians just get together, right? Like, why do Christians hate the Mormons so much? I'm not saying we should hate Mormons individually, but we should hate their theology, absolutely, because we are meant to be divided from people like that, right? And like, Christ is the dividing line between us and the world. And so, theology is going to create divisions between people. And that doesn't mean we need to hate people or treat them poorly or, or anything like that. We're called to love our enemies as Christians, which, again, is a theological claim. But All that to say is that if you're scared of theology because you think it might not let you just believe everybody is going to heaven, uh, then I would say you are in desperate need of theology. Anyways, uh, another common objection, why can't I just believe in the gospel, right? Like, why why do I need this theology stuff? Well, again, we just have to return to the point that the gospel is theology, right? Like, what do you mean by the gospel? Well, Jesus came, he died, and he rose to save me from my sins. Do you even know what that means? right it took me a while to actually understand what i mean by the gospel and that is again a theological conviction all right so it's kind of an introduction there let's talk about some of the uses of theology uh, theology leads to a deeper relationship with god right our father uh, god is the giver of all joy the psalm psalm 16 says at your right hand are pleasures forevermore the closer we are with god the more joy joy we heard the phrase the joy of the lord is in us okay theology leads to that deeper relationship. Because theology teaches us who God is and how he wants us to live. John 14, 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. I assume we could all agree that loving God is what we mean by being closer to him, right? Jesus, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So the way that Jesus shows us more of Himself, the way we actually love Him, is by keeping His commands. We learn what Jesus said and what He wants through theology. Recently, uh, within the last six months, I picked up a book by John Piper, He's a Reformed pastor. He wrote a book called Desiring God, and I, I've been, I've been a Christian for a while, and I picked up this copy of Desiring God, and it's a people would. I'm sure describe Desiring God as a theology-heavy book. Uh, I would describe it that way. It's rich in theology. I don't see that as a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. But, that book transformed my relationship with God in like it, it, in just a new way, propelled me to a deeper love and enjoyment of him, uh, a deeper reliance on him to support me, and, and, and so many things that I think as Christians, we would all agree are essential, but that happened through Piper illustrating theological principles from the Bible, right? Theology gives us guidance in life. Uh, I'm sure we're all fam- familiar with Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? Your word, your law, the things you've given us, God, the Bible, right? The more we know about the Bible, the more we'll be able to make right decisions. Romans 12 was also talking about that, right? So for example, many people have this idea that humans, us, people, we're basically good, right? Like we've we've got a basically good nature inside of us. Like sure, we need to be saved some way, somehow, but we're basically good. Even getting like knee deep into theology, ankle deep into theology would teach you that people actually have basically bad natures, essentially bad. We're actually born evil. Uh, Jeremiah teaches us that the human heart is wicked above all things, it's deceitful, right? In sin, I was conceived, David says in Psalm 51. All right, so that should give us a certain hesitancy and not a big propensity to just make decisions and assume because we want something, that's the right thing, All right? So for example, I wanted to be a lawyer for the longest time. And then through various circumstances, I began to feel as though God was calling me to be a pastor. Okay, within that, there is still a desire for me to be a lawyer. I had to doubt that desire because I knew that that was something that I just wanted, and I couldn't just trust my heart because it wanted something. Conversely, I also began to want to be a pastor. And so, I had to question that desire, not just run with it and make sure. I, I think so many times in Christian ministry, the reason so many people fall out of working with a church is because they just assume that because it feels good. One time they do, they get a good internship with a youth group or anything along those lines, and it just feels really good what they do. They get one good experience and it feels really good and they dive in all the way and, and then they burn out and it's it's not for them. because Just because something feels good and makes you happy in some way doesn't mean that you just just go for it right decisions should be made in reflection in wisdom and in counseling with people around us and you learn those principles in theology right you see how like understanding uh, a theological principle one of the big words in theology we might use to refer to that is theological anthropology right this understanding of the human nature understanding that helps us make decisions in life All right first peter 3:15 this is a passage you've heard before Um, Oh, sorry, 3.14. Um, But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, those who persecute you, nor be troubled, but, verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So unbelievers that we talk to are gonna have a lot of questions about the Bible. Maybe we've run up against that. I've run up against it a lot before. Theology is what teaches us to be able to respond well to those things. For example, common claims, especially for people who have looked into Christianity a little bit, is that they accuse Christians of believing in this divine child abuse, right? Like God the Father, just murdered Jesus because He wanted to, because it gave Him some sick pleasure, right? Pull uh, something like from Isaiah where it says it gave Him, it gave the Lord pleasure to crush Him, right? It pleased the Lord to crush Him. They'll say that's like disgusting and sick could could we answer that well could you if somebody gave you that objection uh, i remember uh, i'm partway into this book by an atheist a well-known atheist named richard dawkins it's called god delusion and every single sentence is meant to mock ridicule and tear down christians and what they believe and I mean, one of the things Dawkins just claims is just the basic atheistic um, claim is that God doesn't exist, and that is ridiculous to believe that he exists. And there are so many alternatives and better alternatives. And here are all the flaws to believing God exists. And and I wonder how many Christians would be able to give a good reason that God exists beyond well, God spoke to me, like like. I know God in my heart. Now, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I also know God in my heart, and that's a valid reason. But that's not convincing to unbelievers at all. And we're meant to be convincing winsome, right? And if you would explore the treasures of theology that the church has produced, you'd see there's so many good evidences and proofs for the existence of God. And that's just one example. All right. Finally, if, if we read Galatians 1 verse 8, and I'll read 8 and 9 because Paul emphasizes it. Galatians 1 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And in verse 9, he just says it again. He emphasizes it. A gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you. Theology allows us to defend the true gospel and to know what we are not to believe. And there's an apologist who passed away a few years ago named Nabil Kreshi. He grew up in a Muslim family. He was a Muslim for most for sorry for a lot of his life. And he tells these stories about how his parents taught him what Christians believed because they knew he was going to go into the public school system, which at the time was all Christian and predominantly Christian. They know that him as a Muslim boy was going to go into that and was going to face opposition for his faith. So they, his parents, taught him what Muslims believe, what Christians believe, and how to attack those Christians' beliefs and how to answer questions Christians might ask. And Nabil just tells these like incredible stories, incredible, not in like the, they're so wonderful, but incredible is just they make me shake my head when I heard them. About he would how with his friends in high school, he just it made him so happy to talk to them and just like tear their faith to shreds, right? Because he had been trained to answer well and to ask tough questions. And the Christians he talked to were oblivious. He tells a story of this one girl who thought that she was, she was like the smart one, right? Like she volunteered at youth group. She was really involved in church. Like she was the smart Christian in her high school. So she went to Nabil. Um, and Nabil's big thing was that Jesus isn't God, right? And in fact, and he would push hard that He'd say the gospels don't even say that Jesus was God. Jesus never said that. It was a thing Christians made up later and nobody could touch that on it. This girl comes up to me and she says, well, Nabil, in John, in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I and the father are one. And Nabil just, he says, he smiled and he just went off. You know, and we don't need to get into all the theology there, but basically Nabil's like, well, uh, that, that's not, it doesn't mean that Jesus and the father are one person, right? Because later in the book, uh, it, it, what Jesus meant is that they're one in purpose, not one in, in being, because later in the book, Jesus will pray that the disciples and the father will be one. Does he mean that he wants the disciples to be God? No, he means he wants them to be one in purpose. So he says that, he says, so what you say is not true. He says even further, um, John's gospels are really late, so it's not reliable. Bible, you have to, if you want to use any gospel to prove Jesus' divinity and the claims Jesus made, you should use the gospel of Mark, which is the earliest one. Jesus says it nowhere in there, but let's just use the gospel of John since you brought it up. In the gospel of John, Jesus actually says, The Father is greater than I. So you're going to tell me that Jesus claimed he was God when he said that? And the girl walked away speechless. She had no answer, right? And I remember hearing that and I was like, I don't have an answer to that. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. That's tough. Is there an answer to that? Right. Like that quite like these are the things we need to be prepared for. More and more, we are living in a syncretistic culture. Okay. People are going to believe all sorts of things. Do you like, are you going to be able to know what somebody can and cannot believe? If a if a Christian brother or sister starts drifting into like pulling on Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu um, or just secular new age beliefs, are you going to be able to tell them, well, I, you've gone too far? right? Like, do you know what lines can and cannot be crossed? So so this, again, comes back to this idea of defending the gospel. The theology sets clear parameters around the gospel and teaches us how to respond well to those objections. Would you be able to evangelize well to a Muslim like Nabil Qureshi or Jehovah's Witness who will go into the Greek and the original languages to prove that Jesus was created, not God? Or a Mormon. I remember very early on, after my conversion, having a conversation with two Mormons who were just walking around in a park and I stopped them. And we had a conversation and they were so knowledgeable. They, they were more knowledgeable of their scriptures than most Christians I've talked to in like the year and a half since then. They were so smart and they knew things so well. And if I mean, if we had talked longer, like they like every question I had for them about their theology, they had an answer to. And I was like, would I be able to do that for myself? If a Mormon came up to me in the park and said, Hey, is it all right if I ask you some questions and like, would I be able to defend my faith? These these are the things that theology helps us do. You see, this is so important for our lives as Christians. Okay. We're going to end pretty soon. We don't want this to be this episode to be too long. But let's just get some a basic sketch of theology, what it is, and if like how you a listener can get more into it and get get your fingers involved there. In theology, we make two basic uh, distinctions between the types of theology. Right? We call them systematic theology and biblical theology. They're the same thing. You just organize them differently. Um, I know people profs who um, like to pretend that systematic theology is the worst thing ever, and biblical theology is the only true thing you can do. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life, and here's why. Biblical theology goes from Genesis to Revelation, And any claim that the Bible makes, it explains and understands it in context, right? So you don't want to rip stuff out of context. You want to understand every claim the Bible makes in context so that when you've gone from Genesis to Revelation, you've understood everything the Bible says. And so you get theology out of that. That's great. Systematic theology takes that, instead of organizing it by book of the Bible, takes all the same information, but just organizes it by topic, God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, human beings, um how Jesus saves us, what the church is supposed to look like, what the end times look like. It organizes it like that. It is the exact if I mean if if you're a good theologian when you write a systematic theology, you've you've essentially already done a biblical theology. You're just arranging it topically so that if people ask like did God create Satan evil? Well, Instead of having to pour through the entire Bible to make sure you don't miss anything, you just go to your system where you've already done that work through the whole Bible to where you've talked about Satan. And then you can just go through there and see what the Bible says about it. So they're just two different ways of organizing the same information. They're both helpful in different ways. If you're doing a Bible study, a, a biblical theology is very useful to understand. Um, the specific viewpoint and emphases of different writers or different books. Systematic theology is super helpful for study and getting a, a broad understanding of topics. So those are kind of the two basic theological systems you might run into as you go into that basic theological principle for you as a reader, right? You're like, well, I, I don't have time. Like I've got a full-time job, uh, maybe kids, maybe you're just busy. You don't have time to like study theology. I'm like, okay, here's a theological principle that you can take with you into your Bible reading. So you can actually do this yourself. Question your beliefs, everything you believe. That's the best way to learn. Like, Okay. I believe fundamental. I believe God exists. Why? Do you understand that? I'm not saying to now take that and go, well, I don't understand it. Therefore, I can't believe God exists. But I would say find a reason for it. Right? Well, I, I believe God is in my heart. Okay, that's great. Would, how would, how could you explain that well to somebody else, another Christian or an unbeliever? Right? Find reasons and ways to do that. And if you just research, um, there are so many resources. If you're wondering about a specific topic, feel free to reach out and we can figure out where the best place is to go for you. But If you come across questions that you can't answer well, look into them, go to the Bible and find answers there. So that's the basic theological principles to question your beliefs and make sure they're rooted in the Bible, right? Don't just assume things are right because you've always believed them. That's a a very poor way uh, to understand God. And then finally, just some basic resources for theology. Um, I mean, I'm always going to promote Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It was the first systematic theology I ever knew existed, first one I ever touched, first one I ever read. Uh, It it is excellent. Grudem is very, very good. He's very orthodox, so you're not going to get anything weird. And he's good at presenting a lot of different viewpoints. On a subject, right? So he's got it. He's got this is what he says, this is what I believe. But then he will include different viewpoints people might have on a subject. And if it's especially heretical, he'll probably respond to it and say, This is why you don't actually believe the Pope is infallible or why you have to pay to get out of purgatory. So Grudem's excellent for that. RC Sproul has a podcast called Renewing Your Mind. Uh, A lot of the um, episodes, they're very short episodes. Well, I say very short. I listen to long podcasts. They're about 20. To 30 minutes each. And a lot of the, if you just scroll through his feed on that, if you look up Renewing Your Mind or just RC Sproul, that's the letter R, letter C, Sproul, S P R O U L on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You scroll through the feed, you'll see that the episode titles will be topics. A lot of them will be kind of uh, theological in nature. So you can check those out. Uh, There's a podcast called Remnant Radio, The Remnant Radio. If you look them up, or um, if you look them up and then look up on their feed, systematic theology, right? Systematic theology. They did an eight-episode series looking at. um, They're about an uh, forty-five minutes to an hour each episode. It was an excellent introduction to systematic theology for me. Uh, They go through the eight basic categories of theology and just kind of talk about them and try to explain them well for people who are just beginning. So, that's excellent as well. Two books, Knowing God by J.A. Packer, and Desiring God by John Piper. Very, very good. Uh, We'll probably talk about those more on future episodes. And then finally, just encourage you to make connections in your Bible reading. Uh, like approach stuff with a question in mind. Try to answer that in your Bible reading. And just a caution not to rip verses out of context to fit a particularly a particular, sorry, theological narrative. Um, for example, Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. It's a great verse. Um, very, very, very good. People will often take that and go, oh, God doesn't want anything bad to happen to me. As long as I walk in his will, nothing bad is going to happen to me because he doesn't want any harm to come to me. And from that, often if bad things do happen, it's because, well, I must be out of God's will. You get a very, if I sin, God hurts me theology from that. People will sometimes pair that with Romans 8.28, which says he works all things to good for those who love him. It's along those lines. Now, we need to probably balance those ideas first by realizing that Jeremiah 29.11 was spoken to a specific people at a specific time. There's a principle we can pull out of it, but the principle is not that God doesn't want any harm to come to us. That's ridiculous. Romans eight twenty eight. we need to understand that all things work, like good, we, we need to let the Bible shape our idea of what good actually means. That's another theological thing. We need to balance these things with the story of Job. Go read Job. Good doesn't mean comfortable and nice and no pain. Good means most glorifying to God. And that might mean a lot of pain. That might mean your death um, if you, uh, you look to Jesus for that. Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, I Oh no, glorify your name. The time has come for me to glorify you. And he went to the cross, was tortured, betrayed, and murdered. Yes, all things work together for good. And that might mean brutal death and pain. So we, we need a proper theology not to just rip Bible verses out of context because they fit what we like or because they make us feel good. A final example of the and not how to do that, Psalm 37.4. Seek the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, You go to Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." This is like, man, if I tell God what I want, he's going to give it to me because it's the desires of my heart. And he promised that. Jesus promised it. Psalms promised it. This is lovely. Well, if you study theology more and, and don't just take those verses and run with them, you'd understand that what the Bible means when it says the desires of your heart is actually God himself. So God is not a path to a new house or the promotion, a job, or uh, that perfect marriage you've been dreaming about. Um, God is a path to himself. There's no higher end. The desire of every human heart, Augustine said, you made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right, So that's the first thing, asking you will receive, "Oh, we need to study that passage way, way more. That is um, one that is so dangerous just to kind of rip out and its I call, I call them band-aid texts, right? I don't I can't actually remember if I came up with that or not. I feel like it's too good of an exam, like an illustration for me to have come up with it, but I can't remember who I stole it from, but Band-Aid texts, we just kind of rip them and put them on places to uh, try to make ourselves feel better, even though they don't do very much because we need to address something deeper. So anyways, there's just a very poor way of doing theology in that way. So we need to make sure to stick to the Bible and understand what it says. So let's back up broad view. Theology isn't optional. It is essential to the Christian life. If you feel out of your depth, like there, like there are so many good introductory methods and ways into this. Um, look up the Desiring God website. They'll have so many resources that you can look at that'll help you just get your foot in the water. Start asking questions. Right? Like I, I want. Sometimes I wonder how, like Christians. Who don't care about theology. I don't mean to be insulting to anybody, but I don't understand how you can think deeply through your faith and not have any care about theology. I'm not saying you need to know the fine points of Trinitarian conception or the fine points of incarnational submission of the Son to the Father. You don't need to know that necessarily, even though they're both fascinating topics. You don't need to know that. But you you like I, I don't understand how you could think through your faith well and not come to the realization that at least you need a better uh, you could, you might not say theological understanding, but understanding of the Bible and of God—that's the first thing. Then the other thing is, how often are we talking to unbelievers? Because unbelievers will push you to theology so fast because they're going to ask the hard questions that you never will. Especially if you talk to other people who are religious, and the only way to answer them well and convincingly and faithfully to the gospel is by having a firm grip of theology. So, if anything else, I just encourage you. if Like, if you're not asking these questions or feel compelled to look into theology. Do you spend time thinking and like desiring to know God more? And how often are you sharing your faith? Or are you pushed into an uncomfortable situations? Because there's nothing like a question that stumps you that's going to get you like into theology. So all that to say, theology is a beautiful thing for the Christian life. It's words about God. It's true things we can know about God. We have so many bad, false ideas about God. God too often is a perfect version of ourselves. And that's not who God is. He actually says, I'm I'm not like you but you think I am. And that leads to a lot of mistakes. So we need to let God tell us who he is. Let the Bible tell us about God, about who we are, about how to live life. And that's theology. And I don't know what else there is besides God, us, and life. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out, push back, obviously. we love that. We'll be back next week uh, when Quinn is feeling better. We're going to continue our gospel talk series asking about how the law applies to us today. Hope you guys have a good week.